This podcast is brought to you by NetBank. Whether you're thinking of franchising your business, buying into or revamping your franchise, stay tuned for tips on how to grow your brand and portfolio. Welcome to NetBank Franchise Podcasting. I am your host, Charles Schwen. Today in the studio, we have Tony De Fonseca from OBC Chicken. Tony, I'm so sorry. It's a bit of a tongue twister for me, your surname. It's De Fonseca and you were pretty close. I've been called a lot worse in, in the last couple of years. Let's talk about the name OBC. So there are two origins to it. Mm. One of them is OBC stands for only the best chicken. The other one, the, the, the other one is where the company was um, started from originally. Um, can, can you give us your take on that? Yeah, you know, we've been, I've been trying to think of something more glamorous than only the best chicken, <laughs> but it kind of sticks to, to, to what we do, so we use it when we can. Uh, the, the real name really is just, it's actually amazing how brands are born. Mm. And it's not a very exciting story, but I guess if you see how, it, how, how, how the name evolved since then, then it is an interesting story. So the original founders actually, as many Portuguese families did back then, they used to own cafes and, 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 and fruit and veg stores. And they had a cafe in Uberolza Street in Carltonville. So that's what the name originally originated of. It was called Uberolza Cafe in Uberolza Street, Carltonville. So uh, the early founders, when they used to go off to the, to the markets to buy fruit and veggies and that, obviously to write Uberosa Cafe on the pallets was just too cumbersome and took too long. Uh-huh. So they started writing OBC. Uh-huh. So the original founders decided at some point, uh, I'm talking sort of the 87s, that they decided let's try and sell some chicken in our fruit and veg shop. And they bought something like 30 cases in the one day and it sold out. The next day they bought 60 cases and that sold out. And so it went on until eventually the fruit and veg went out the window and they were selling chicken. Uh, and hence the name OBC Chicken was was born. Wow. So so yeah, that's how the brand was born. That's the sort of humble beginnings of the original founders of the business. Well, I for one don't think it's a boring story at all. Tony, we were chatting a little bit that you were a original madman, as in you worked in advertising um, before you got into the chicken and meat business. Can you give us a quick summary how that happened? Yeah, well, I'll try and explain the last 15 to 20 years of my life in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, so, yes, I was. I, I, uh, I joined a uh, local ad agency called uh, Framptons many years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, shortly after I finished doing my army stint, as we had to do back in those days. Mm-hmm. And in the army, I met a guy called Mike Frampton. And then we kind of hooked up uh, afterwards. He was on the creative side, and I managed most of the client service side. He had started an agency with uh, Sandy Papali. So, anyway, I joined them. And at that time, I did client service media, made teas and coffees, delivered stuff, made samis, did whatever it took to get the agency going. And uh, at that time, we actually grew it to a nice-sized agency, and eventually we joined a global network called DDB South Africa. Was it, they're still around? They're still around, yeah. Um, and at the time when I left, we managed to get it up to the top 13, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in, in South African rankings. So it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then ironically, ABC was a, a client of mine, and it was just came around to the time to go and do something different. And I started my own consultancy, and ABC came as a client. And a couple of years later, I uh, was asked by ABC to come and run their business, which was interesting, you know, from, from where I'd been in the advertising, I think, and in the marketing side, we had found ourselves really marketing some exciting stuff and we got to work on good global brands like mm. McDonald's and Henkel and J&J and that, and some fantastic local brands. But uh, I remember years ago, we did the conversion of Anglo Alpha to Alpha Cement. Um, okay. So things like that were actually quite interesting where we, 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 we promoted commodities. And now, you know, chicken is chicken is chicken, as most people say. Now, try marketing cement. <laughs> it's a great part on how you segment that. So there was a lot of lessons learned by very different industries. And um, apply that to the food environment. And how do you market, differentiate your brand 
from the others out there. So it was valuable lessons. So I came from a marketing background into OBC and not from a financial background. And um, I realized that times were tough and the business was, was battling back then. So rather than, although one, you know, you can't just contract a business at times, but you've got to aggressive, aggressively market and, and change your position and grow the business. And you, know, you can only cut the business so deep before you realize you've got to grow your customer base uh, and grow your, your, your turnover to, to, to get growth. Um, so yeah, so, so it was interesting. So my experience in, in the marketing advertising, I had the privilege of working on so many great international brands and local brands certainly gave, a, and I think it gave me a sort of a, a huge advantage in marketing what is actually at the end of the day basic commodities. If we look at chicken and meat and maize meal and all the core essentials of food stuff, which is the primary products that we sell within the OBC group and the OBC chicken and meat group. Um, so awesome. I think it was a great experience. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about um, you as a CEO now, because your role has changed drastically from the 13 years ago, I'm sure. There are more and more stores opening up, and I believe that your target for 2020 is to open up to 80 stores. So can you take us through your daily routine? Like, what time do you get up? What time do you go to bed? Just paint us a picture. Daily routine. Uh, I'm not sure there is a daily routine in this, not only in our industry, I think just in the world today. You know? mm. So the long and the short of it is, is if I'm not traveling, um, then I try and take my son to school. Um, and yes, it is morning traffic is crazy. So we normally leave home at about quarter past six. But that's the time I get to connect with him a bit. My oldest son is now 21, so he doesn't need to be taken anywhere. He gets himself around. But my youngest son is 17. So to me, that's still, a, it's still an important time in the day where we chat and we stop and buy coffee together and then... What do you guys chat about? I mean, what, what's what's on a seventy-year-old's seventeen-year-old's mind these days? I'm actually amazed by the the, the depth of, of youngsters nowadays. Really? I mean, if we look at the access to knowledge, and you know, I often give my, my, my boys a hard time for not reading a book, um, and I guess that's me. If I'm reading something, I still prefer it on paper. So maybe I'm giving my age away, but you know, so you know, I'm always like ragging them about like you know, you you guys have just got your head in the clouds, and in, and you know, and you you only reading YouTube. Uh, or seeing YouTube and all sorts of uh, uh, stuff on, on social media they probably shouldn't be accessing. But the reality is not. It's actually it's a new way of doing things. And, and there's a depth of knowledge in, in, in my son and I see in his peers as well about world economics, about world politics. So we talk, obviously, what's currently happening in South Africa, we've spoken uh, uh, often about. But, you know, he's very privileged that he's in a private school, I guess, and, and I very, feel very humbled that we can do that. But the access of education that he's had about world wars and, and, and so we'll talk about anything quite frankly and that's quite nice it also keeps you a bit sane in the traffic where, <laughs> and some days we'll just chill and, and listen to music so that's important time for me if I'm not traveling that's in cool. terms of routine it depends what the day brings you know uh, you know we've sometimes woken up and ha having had to deal with a store being looted or having to be shut down because of um, you know sort of community uh, uh, service delivery protests or any other related protests but really it's it's that fortunately even though that's fortunately those type of urgencies are more the exception than the rule because unfortunately most of what we see in the media nowadays is just the bad news and of course. Uh, you know i'm not i'm certainly not repeating any any political party slogans but south africa's actually you know despite all the bad news we've still made some good things happen you know and i Absolutely. have the privilege of mm. I have the privilege of traveling a lot in, in township communities and I see, yes, I do see a lot of, of uh, things that could be done differently, but I see a lot of positive things. I see houses growing, I see infrastructure growing, and that's exciting for me. And I, you know, I feel blessed to be able to do that because 
you just realize that that there is still good things happening in this country and if we can just stop focusing on the negative mm. that there is a lot going on Absolutely. so the routine then really is you know at the office um, uh, if i'm not traveling again just dealing with the, you know the admin side especially as we grow there's a lot involved in the franchising side especially with with legislation in terms of uh, pr- uh, consumer protection making sure that all our contracts are in place and 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 giving the, the the right times for people to sign on documents and giving them cooling off periods but daily routine really in this game it, it really depends it's it's uh, you know we've we've dealt with like wonderful stories where a franchisee will send us inspiring pictures of him at the and we'll support them that at the local soccer club and 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 the local school sponsoring stuff and we might get a call that we had an ATM blown up. So business in South Africa is wow. is uh, unpredictable. So there's no fixed routine. That's what I love about this business. Even though we're in, in, in sort of basic food stuff, there's always a different challenge. And even in the franchising environment, it's always a different challenge. And as I continuously tell my team, thank goodness we've got some problems to deal with every day. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't have a job and we wouldn't be relevant to our franchisees. So that's the nature of the day. You know? so, wow, I love it. I have never heard anybody describe their so-called daily routine and the, and the producers are nodding their head like this so I'm just <laughs> wow so you're speaking about that you're a big fan of books and you preferred paper and I'm the same I mean look at me I've got paper in front of me so when you have downtime what do you like reading and are there certain books that you're reading right now that you feel like every single business owner should be reading it uh, yeah, there is a couple of books that I'm reading. I like to read biographies of successful people because, you know, I've always had the philosophy that I, I, I kind of, I love success, you know. Mm. Uh, I don't want to hang, hang around with people that are always complaining about their circumstances because it's going to get me down. I'm just going to slit my wrists. And I love hanging around. So, you know, I, I love to see people doing well. I don't begrudge them. Mm. And I think that's so important in franchising because it's always been when I took over OBC and I started analyzing, getting to understand the business is that was so important for us and it took a couple of years to transform the thinking and a couple of years to get the financial things right because at that time when i took over there was kind of mandatory buying from a central source and that type of thing and i quickly realized that as a business if we don't make our primary focus on our franchisees growing there's, there's no hope in hell we're going to grow ourselves and that's really been the f- of course i'm in business to make money come on i mean everybody is let's not let's, let's call a you know let's call a, 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 a spade a spade, spade yes yeah. um but having said that, I'd rather make a couple of cents per kilo and sell tons of kilos than make lots of rands on a kilo and sell three because it really doesn't, uh, you're not going to make money. It's sustainable. I always tell people that you can't bank a margin, but you can bank a five cents, you know. And that's really the principle that we put into OBC at the time where it took a bit of, uh, took a bit of convincing the franchisees and even the shareholders at the time of like actually cutting prices down to move volume. At the end of the day, we're in a volume business. So the thinking behind OBC and, and the way I approach life is I love to see people doing well. And if I can be a vehicle and us as a business and as a franchisor be a vehicle to grow our franchisees, of course we're gonna grow with them. And I'm very fortunate to say that we've got franchisees that have done exceptionally well, they've taken multiple stores. We've had our failures as well. I mean, you're not human if you don't have failures. You don't, we do make mistakes. But the reality is, so I love hanging around with people that are successful because I want to hear their success stories. I don't begrudge them. I'm not jealous of them. If I can help them become more successful and wealthier, fantastic, as long as I learn from them. Because if I'm going to hang with people around people that aren't successful, then, you know, they're just going to, I'm just going to sort of get drawn into the negativity. Were there any stories that you've read uh, biography-wise in the last, let's say, the past month or so that really, really stood out? Uh... Yeah, Jack Welsh, I think, uh, faced many difficulties. I enjoyed that read, although it has been a while ago. I must be honest, uh, reading lately has been a bit finding time, and where I really get the time to read a book is, is sort of over quiet times over Christmas. 
uh, when obviously the distribution centers are running, but from an admin side, we get to take time out. I'm reading a book now that I'm not sure I, I really enjoy it, and it's really about a sort of self-reflection and how you do things. What's it called? It's uh, it's got a it's got an F word in it, so I'm not sure if you're going to bleep that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> are we al- are we allowed to say it? Studio producers, are we allowed to say the word? Can can he say the name of the book? <laughs> <laughs> so the book is called Yourself. <laughs> Never heard of it. Okay, <laughs> and it's really about uh, managing your own perceptions and your uh-huh. own things. And at times. Uh, stuff happens to you. How uh, did you find that book? Uh, just, <laughs> uh, actually, exclusive books. I was wandering around and I saw the title and I went, that sounds pretty cool. Okay. And I've recommended it to a couple of people that always find, you know, the, the sort of half-glass empty people. Because mm-hmm. at times, you know, if you, if you, like, if you say that stuff is going to happen to you, sorry, I'm also using a slightly different S word. Uh, if you continue to go around saying that stuff is going to happen to you, then yeah, that stuff's going to hit the fan and that's what you're going to live like. So the book, that's an F yourself, is really about change your mindset and make, make stuff happen for you. Okay. And that's really the, the thinking. And yes, uh, like I say, is, is bad stuff still going to happen to you? Absolutely. But it's how you, it's how you approach it. Um, you know, you can decide it's a disaster. You can say, well, you know, I'm going to take a, a blow. But hell, you're never going to do this to me again. Absolutely. And that's really, it's really about attitude. And that's, that's I think, is, is a survival factor in any business. And of course, in, in franchising, where you not only have to worry about your own business and your profitability, but of course, everybody's profitability that's related to you and, and their success. And that, that's important. Absolutely, absolutely. And I believe that, uh, I don't know if it's recently that you, you the OBC started a new distribution warehouse or have you did a revamp? I believe it's quite quite something. I mean, compared to the old models, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, we did. It's actually just under two years ago that we moved into a new facility. How so big is it? It's uh, well, I don't know. You know, it's about sixteen thousand squares. But I normally think of it. How many rugby fields? Uh, it's a couple. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, you know the couple. way. I, being, so it's two. It's two rugby fields. <laughs> no, it's more than that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, you can see I'm a retailer or, or when, I, when I talk about our size in terms of how many pallets we can hold and not the size of it. Okay. So, so we can hold close to 20,000 pallets of stock. That's 20,000 tons of, uh, wow. of stock. So, so we've consolidated. We spent over 150 million rand building a, a centralized distribution center, which at the, it's built, been completely built as a cold storage. Uh, but we are using one chamber still as a dry goods facility, so non-refrigerated products. So we, centri- we, we, we distribute everything centrally. And in busy times, it's been an absolute win for us because we can, we can fill up our stores quickly with stock when they, have, um, when they have busy periods. And it's very important in our environment that you know, retail space is not the cheapest. You don't want to be paying retail rates. In a, in, a, in, a, in a shopping center to have stock lined up. So our sort of approach in the last couple of years is to try and make our stores a little bit smaller, um, make our freezers a touch smaller in terms of saving on energy and, and rental space, and then supplying them more regularly. So we did that. We did have two facilities, one dry goods, one, one uh, cold storage, uh, uh, sort of fairly antiquated. But two years ago, our shareholders have invested quite heavily in it. Um, and now we've centralized everything. So we've got everything under one roof. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, we, we distribute centrally now, which is fantastic because we can, we can, you know, our trucks can visit the store twice a week. Frankly, the biggest stores can visit them every day with a truck full of stock. And the, and the great thing is that 
we can send mixed loads out so the guys don't have to find various suppliers to get uh, this and to get that they, with, with with one phone call or one online pl uh, one online order the truck will arrive tomorrow with a mixed load you open your back door once you offload the stock you load your shelves and off you go so there's still a certain amount of processing going on in the stores but we're trying to get as much packed gentle as we can to make it easier for our retailers we really want the guys to focus on the floor and on their customers so how, so, many, so how many stores are you sitting on right now so we 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 only we're sitting on 53 stores at the moment 53 okay um now it's an interesting story which i'll get into a little bit later because when i took over actually obviously had 78 stores so talk about trimming a tree to grow um you know when i took over in the early days i'm not i don't know if you want to get into that now we can leave it a little bit later so 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 when from 70 odd to yeah. 50 odd were yeah. those 20 odd company owned franchise owned or a lot of them were company owned so you so when the business is uh like i said the business started in 87 i took over early 2000s so the business that's that's why you know as i say it's, it's it's good to talk about the good the bad and the ugly so when i took over and i hadn't done a proper due diligence in the business i quickly realized that a lot of the sites that they'd re-signed were actually in the wrong place they were off the market market changes and it's important that one keeps abreast of that so when i first took over the business uh, i quickly realized that kind of half of these sites were just in the wrong place and they were what's a give, give us an idea what what do you mean by a wrong site like paint us a picture what so, is it? so for example let's use Kempton Park as an, okay. as an example they just signed a new lease and I went okay cool like I looked at the turnover and said why did you guys sign it no but we've been there for like 20 years okay or 15 years all right cool let's take a drive out there I said guys but the market has changed there's been a new shopping center down the road the commuter ranks have moved down there why did you sign this lease? Oh, because we just did. I mean, you know, it's been there around. I said, but you're not making money off this branch, you know. So those were the tough calls to make at the time because, um, oh, there you must know, be lots of tears. There was retrenchment, and and, and and this is why uh, the history of the of the, of the business is an interesting one because we had to cut down quite a lot, um, and it's heart wrenching to tell someone that their business is not successful anymore and that they have to. Um, they have to relocate and they have to close it, you know. So, literally at that time, with OBC with 78 stores was doing about 75 million rand turnover per month. Uh, we trimmed it down to about 40 stores at the time, and then we were doing almost 200 million rand per month. So, we had less stores, but uh, but uh, a lot more stronger. And then we had to rebuild the business from that, and it's really made us what we are today because. Um, that journey was a very tough one when you when you got to just cut back and you got to tell people that their business aren't successful and for their own good and you know they need to people. shut it down and you know these people and mm. you built a relationship. Mm. It's heart wrenching to tell them your business is not successful. And I often tell my ops guys and and my and recently when we opened the store, I called my guys and I said, stand here and see what you see. And the guys saying, no, the store looks great and you know and and the customers are in here and it's fantastic. And I said, but guys, look carefully. What do you see? Uh, but you know the guys are like is this a trick question is the boss gonna beat us up because we don't know how to answer the guys and i kept asking what do you see and the guy said to me no the store's great the meat is this the basket is moving and the basket count is high and i kept saying yeah but look carefully and then i said to them guys you know what i see he says what i see this franchisee on the till i see his wife packing bags and i see their two kids running around putting baskets in a pile that's good right that's fantastic. And I said, do you guys realize what a responsibility we have? If this business succeeds, this family will succeed. If we fail these people, then that is on us. Um, that This is what I see. I see a family's life savings in this business. And that's quite important because I've had the, I've had the many years ago, I had the, 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 the uh, I don't want to call it a pleasure, but of having to 
shut businesses down because they weren't doing well. And like I said, it's heart-wrenching. So to this day, you know, yes, we, of course we make mistakes. I mean, we do. We do feasibilities. I like to drive out and see every site myself. I always say I want to taste the township dust, make sure we're in the right spot. Because <laughs> feasibilities will tell you that a, that a town is successful. But you've got to stand on the pavement and see how people are moving around and what's happening in that market to truly understand if people are going to come past your store and, 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 and get across there. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Tony from OBC Chicken, a man on a mission, a man that is not scared to change, a man that cares about his customers, and a man that is hungry for growth. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by NetBank. Stay tuned for more on franchising or search NetBank Franchising for valuable information. See money differently. NetBank.